Welcome back, one and all, for the second consecutive year of Totally Biased Media. Many people told us that we would never make it this far, but, much like an aggressive case of athlete's foot, we've only gotten stronger as the year went on. From one listener, all the way up to, maybe a second listener? I don't know. I told my mom about the podcast, and she sounded supportive. But that, dear listener, is beside the point, and we have much more important things to discuss today. As we ring in the new year, we like to ask ourselves tough questions, like, should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Personally, we say no, because we don't really know what that means. And it kind of feels like it goes against the main theme of this week's episode, a question that's been on every listener's mind since our end of the year roundup. What was Totally Biased Media's pick for Game of the Year 2021? My name is Jason Simmons, and I'm here with my brothers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Jackson. Let's dive right into that. I see it 2021 was a year best forgot but there were some good games in there and I think we owe it to ourselves and to our millions and millions of listeners to really battle it out to see what the totally biased media game of the year is and we're not like voting or doing some kind of like numerical something to pick it out we are going to go at it until we have reached a unanimous decision about what that game is now fun fact about this episode of the podcast uh everything i'm saying is actually being recorded afterwards my brothers are just making up responses that they think are going to sound appropriate when i add in my dialogue i don't know jason I kind of feel like the Nazis were the bad guys most of the time. Wow. And that was Jordan. I asked him to say the thing that he disagrees with most in the world. Okay, this is go- this is already going totally off the rails. <laughs> and we haven't even started talking about video games yet. So, I'm going to kick us off here. I'm going to tell you guys my personal pick for the game of the year and a couple other strong contenders that I think definitely need to be a part of the Game of the Year conversation. 2021 was a year chock full of sequels, including some really long-awaited ones that I was really excited about. And I think both of my runner-ups I want to talk about really encompass that. When the PS5 was first announced, there was a whole slew of games that were revealed with it, and most of which were promised within the first year of the console's life. Um, a lot of those still aren't out, and it's been a bit longer than a year. But the single game from the reveal that I was the most excited about actually did get a 2021 release. I'm talking about Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart. Now, I just loved this game, and we were, you know, we were real amped up about it during the episode. You know, softened on it some, but still, like, I loved the world, the weapons, the characters. Everything about it was just a complete success in my book. And I really, really enjoyed seeing the series evolve to fit this new generation of consoles, and I really liked some of the big swings they took with the game's sort of progression style and the new characters, specifically Rivet and Kit. And it all has me just really, really excited to see where the Ratchet & Clank series goes in the future. So even though I think that, you know, our opinions maybe aren't as strong as they were when we first reviewed the game, I still think it was a really, really solid entry that definitely has earned its place in this conversation. The next game I want to talk about was the game that While I was playing it, I thought for sure, like, without a shadow of a doubt, this will be my game of the year. And that is Metroid Dread. 
Now, Metroid Dread expands on every single thing I love about the series and, and really the, the Metroidvania genre as a whole. And it's in a package that's so finely crafted that basically every minute of this game is fun from the minute you get going all the way until the final boss. It's just this beautiful, really fluid package with some incredible boss fights, a really cool progression hook with the power-ups, and, you know, I would certainly never say that a quote-unquote perfect game exists, but this feels like the perfect direction for Metroid. Like, this is, this is where the series should be going, and I was just, I was thrilled by this game in basically every capacity. But... It turns out that I didn't even know what I wanted from a video game in 2021 until I got it. And it turns out that what I wanted was to go about 250 miles an hour through the streets of Mexico in the Aston Martin Valhalla. I think that's what we all want. I, I didn't shy away from saying this in our Forza episode, but I'll, I'll definitely reiterate it here as well. Forza Horizon 5 is the best racing game I've ever played. The driving feels incredible. The environments and vehicles are super photorealistic, like some of the best looking I've seen in a video game. There is just an incredible amount of content here. There's so many races, so many things to explore, or so many places to explore, so many things just around the map to do. Plus, there's like some of the live service stuff where they're adding more content consistently. I, I just think that Forza was not only the most fun that I had with the video game in 2021, but it's the game that I know I will be coming back to the most in the years to come. Pretty much up until Forza Horizon 6 launches in probably 2025. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice you said that uh, Forza Horizon 5 was the best racing game you've ever played. Have you completely forgotten about 2002's hit game Spy Hunter? It's <laughs> my game of the year for uh, every every year. Anyways... That was Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart, Metroid Dread, and Forza Horizon 5. Who wants to go next? We'll let Jason go next. Cool. All right. <laughs> Thanks for volunteering <laughs> me. You know, I would like to have a little bit more discussion while I do mine, uh, especially because I know you guys have played at least most of mine, and we talked about some of them. But I'm just going to start at the top of my list, and that would be... Haze Lights, It Takes Two. A bit of a surprise hit for me because I, I haven't really liked any of Haze Lights' previous games. And then on top of that, It Takes Two just didn't look super interesting <laughs> before I bought it. But we decided to review it for the podcast and I picked it up and I'm really glad that I did. I played through it with Abby uh, and it's just one of the most unique and fun games that I think I've played in 2021. The big things with It Takes Two is specifically, I think it does really well at blending, you know, several different genres. You know, there are some parts of it that are like gauntlet style, you know, top down hero. I don't, I don't know what that genre is really called. <laughs> it's like a twin stick shooter almost <laughs> in some parts. There yeah. are other parts where it's, you know, a third person shooter. I mean, it really just has just about everything that you could think of. There's a part where it's a fighting game. I think that all of the different areas that you go to in the game are really well designed, you know, from a giant tree full of squirrels and some kind of weird exploding goo <laughs> to just like the leftover stuff in the attic <laughs> to a child's, you know, bedroom full of toys. I, it's just really interesting. And I, I'm really excited to see a multiplayer cooperative game come out these days because it really feels like whenever you're looking at a narrative based game, it's going to be a single-player experience, and whenever you're looking at multiplayer in any way, it's almost definitely going to be a competitive game of some kind. Whether it's a you know a shooter like Call of Duty, Battlefield, or a party game like Mario Party. <laughs> the writing in It Takes Two is incredibly cringy sometimes. Specifically, whenever Dr. Hakeem's Book of Love is on the screen. Sometimes it's um, cringy in an enjoyable way, but a lot of times it's just unenjoyable. <laughs> There are some shining light moments in the game, like the scene where they torture the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. That scene's hilarious. It's so weird and dark and just funny. And out of the blue, like, yeah, <laughs> no other part of the game has that kind of tone at all. It's so weird. And I, I will say, though, the, the player 
that's playing as May gets more interesting abilities and also some like really cool individual scenes than the other player. The one that really comes to mind is the scene where May is on top of a plane fighting a squirrel, and the other player, Cody, is is driving the plane. But just like in a straight line, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think the worst example of this is there's one scene where Cody has to drive a plane while May uh, fights a squirrel like Mortal Kombat on top of it. Jackson, we just talked about this extensively. I will say there is there is there is one scene that I that I think really sticks out and point and proves my point God. where May is on top of a plane <laughs> fighting a squirrel Street Fighter style. God, but that's probably enough about it. Takes two. Um, my second choice. I'm just gonna move to my next platformer on the list, Psychonauts Two. I personally didn't like Psychonauts 2 as much as the first one, but I honestly think Psychonauts 1 is a masterpiece. (laughs) Like, I feel like all the flaws with Psychonauts 1 are just from the fact that it came out in the early 2000s. Psychonauts 2, I think, manages to capture a lot of what made the original so great. From the interesting level design to... You got really interesting, unique levels that kind of reflect the emotional state of the person that you're exploring the mind of. And then on top of that, I think all the powers are pretty cool, honestly. Uh, they expand upon the stuff that you were given in the first game. You know, there's some returning powers like the levitation ball and shooting energy blasts from your mind. Uh, and then there are a whole bunch of new ones. Uh, the one that comes to mind is definitely uh, Mental Connection, where you can travel between different ideas in people's minds and... The first map is kind of all based around it, exploring, linking two separate ideas in someone's mind and how that'll affect their psyche. Still wish that that was expanded upon more in the game, but it was very interesting. Um, the game's funny. It manages to retain the heart that the original game had. And, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a good sequel. I think we went pretty hard on Psychonauts 2 when we first reviewed it. And I think if you're just looking at this as a puzzle platformer like the first game it definitely does have some shortcomings but i think if you can sort of put that in a box and instead look at this game as an action platformer that just takes place in the same world i think it's an excellent game i think that just in terms of the platforming the world design the characters i think i think psychonauts 2 is fantastic i i think that all the problems we had with it were just in comparison to one. Because otherwise, as a standalone game, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I feel like Psychonauts is so unique in just like the, the things that it tries to tackle with its story and the way that it plays that it's really hard to talk about the sequel without talking about the first one. For sure. Even for now, sure. You yeah. know, several months after we reviewed it, I it's hard for me to kind of separate them. Uh, which in some ways, I think is good. It is a good sequel. It doesn't disappoint. Like, if you enjoyed Psychonauts 1, you will enjoy Psychonauts 2. Jackson, what's your only take as someone who down- didn't enjoy Psychonauts 1 very much? I really like Psychonauts 2. It took a lot of the stuff that I liked from the first game and then, you know, made it better. Which, a lot of a lot of my reason for not liking the first game is I played it 17 years later. <laughs> so, you know, playing a game that old... Kind of like it ages well for people that are used to older games, but for people that aren't, it does not age well. Sure, the the mechanical issues made it hard for you to enjoy the stylistic things about the game. Yeah. My third and final choice for game of the year is, I guess, the only indie game on my list, (laughs) The Forgotten City, which I believe started out as a mod for Skyrim. It did. It's really well written. You play as this guy who ends up in this forgotten city underground where there's only one rule. Uh, don't don't break any rules. <laughs> yeah. That's the only rule. <laughs> don't break any rules, and we're not going to tell you what the rules are that you can't break. <laughs> you find them out. Basically, the city's just full of people from a from Rome during the sacking of Rome, I believe. It's a whole bunch of awful people that all ended up in the city. Primarily awful. There are a few, like, really good ones. 
But the big thing that you're trying to do in the game is figure out what is a sin and save the people of the city so you can go back home. Because also you're in the past. <laughs> this game has a lot going on, but I think it has one of the best cast of characters that I've seen in an, in, in an indie game. And they're all really well realized. Like they walk a really fine line between being like caricatures and being real people. But like every character you meet, you want to know more about. And I have not experienced that in many other games. Yeah, I, I think that every character in the city is well written. They're interesting. They have their own, you know, wants and needs and their own ethos, which I think is a really important part of it. Because. You know, some people might think that it's okay to hurt people if it's for the greater good. And then other people are like, well, you can't hurt anyone ever. And surprisingly, the laws of the city don't really have much room for interpretation. <laughs> you can create your own sins and end the world. And honestly, I think you have to if you want to play the game. <laughs> I, I don't know if you'd be able to play it without breaking the rules. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and definitely at least a handful of times. I don't think it's even yeah. physically possible to just run in and get it all right the first time. Because I think you have to carry over items between runs and stuff. Yeah. But I will say the gameplay isn't great. I, I think this game is definitely carried by its writing. Most of the gameplay is just walking around and talking to people. There are some combat settings in the game, uh, or segments in the game, and they are not good. No. They do not feel good. <laughs> nope. They are not very fun. It's rough. Your only weapon is a bow and arrow, but ah. all the enemies are going to run up to you and try to punch you. And, all, and the aiming is bad. That said, it's very well written. It has a lot of what I really liked about uh, Disco Elysium. Words? I think that's probably why I like it so much. Yeah, sure. Talking. Words, <laughs> ambiguity. No, nah, it's the words. That's, that's the big part. Well... Why don't you say some words about your favorite games of 2021? Ah, well, my list, uh, mostly one of the games, not so much, but two of the games on my list kind of surprises to me that I did not expect to have on my list because he didn't like them. <laughs> First one is Death's Door. Now, this one is on this. This one surprises me because I usually. I usually either don't play indies or I'm usually not really into any indies that I play. Well, this game was really good. It's sort of like a Legend of Zelda Dark Souls, somewhat of a Metroidvania mix. It's like it's got um it's a it's a sort of top-down game uh with a pretty basic combat system, but it's hard. Like <laughs> Like not as hard as a as a Dark Souls game, but as hard as you would probably expect it to be. Mixing in Legend of Zelda. Also, if it's not obvious to either of you, um, I'm I'm not good at carrying this conversation. <laughs> Neither was I. But yeah, like I was not expecting to like this at all. But I really enjoyed. Um, really, the only 2D Legend of Zelda game I've played is Link Between Worlds, which I really enjoyed. So like even just on the outside, seeing the similarities to Legend of Zelda. I wasn't really sure if I would like it or not, but I got a gift card for my Xbox and I didn't know what to buy. So I was like, eh, this is on sale. I'll get that. <laughs> and then like for the rest of the day, I played that. And basically every morning for the like next week, I would play it. And like, it really like, I don't really know how to describe why it's so different than anything I've played. Cause I've played top, I've, I've played top down games before I've played, little bit of Dark Souls before. But like, something about it is just very different than anything else. Yeah, I really enjoyed Death's Door. I didn't end up picking it up until last week when we were streaming. And I, I really enjoyed what I played. Yeah. It is similar to Legend of Zelda. I, From what I've seen so far, I don't feel like the Dark Souls comparisons are really all that necessary. It's not that difficult. It's hard, and it's not super forgiving. But I, I feel like... Everyone just wants to say any game that's difficult is <laughs> a uh, Dark Souls-like. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Dark Souls comparison is more to the progression of the game than to the difficulty of it. While it is difficult, I think what most people are referring to is it, basically every map is like a winding maze. You will pass um, locked gates or bridges that need to be let down or ladders that need to be dropped. 
And as you're winding your way around this maze and you find more keys and levers and switches or whatever, you can open up these pathways that shorten your path back to whatever boss or long fight segment or whatever you're stuck on. So you, you know, walk, you, you work your way through these fights. You finally get into a rhythm, learn how to fight this group of bad guys and this mini boss. And, and then like, if you die, you go back, but you've opened up some doors. So now you can skip that first fight and go straight <laughs> to the mini boss. And like that sense of progression is very dark souls. It's not so much that the difficulty of the game matches it as much as that type of thing feels like the way that you progress in a Dark Souls or a Bloodborne or a Sekiro or whatever. Yeah. And the combat's very satisfying. Yes. It, it definitely, every hit feels pretty crunchy, I guess. I don't really know exactly what the best word here is. You only have as many arrows in your bow as you've done melee hits recently. So every time you hit an enemy, you get a bow for your arrow. Other way around. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. You get an arrow for your bow. Yeah. It has a really cool like hit and run style to it. Because if you stick around any enemy for too long, you're going to take damage. And you only have, I think even at the furthest point in the game, you only can take six hits and you're dead. So like you have to be very, very careful the entire time. I think one of the best parts about the game is the boss fights. Other than maybe like the very first one where it's, basically just a tutorial i think every other boss in the game is very very cool especially the bosses that come at the end of each like major chunk of the game i think of the indie games i played this year this is the best one by far like i really really enjoyed death store and i mean i only picked it up on a whim because i was like house sitting or something for a weekend and (laughs) wanted a new game that i could really dig into so they didn't have much else going on and i played it I mean, I probably played 15 hours over a total of three days in this game. And I, I mean, I did everything there was to do and still wanted more. So that really speaks volumes to it. I guess you could compare a lot of the, the fights that I've seen in it so far to like a Legend of Zelda Bullet Hell. My other game, Returnal, which the reason I didn't think I would like this is because I do not really like roguelikes that much. Like I've, I've tried to play roguelikes in the past um they never stick for me more than like a few hours even hades i didn't stay with long and i'll be honest even this game uh when we reviewed it i probably only played like five hours or so and then it touched it again until pretty recently and even then like i only played it for like three hours or so and i haven't played it since but it's still an outstanding game there is so much here in this game that it's just excellent and I think is a really, I think is a good uh, game for people that don't enjoy roguelikes to try out to see if they would like the genre. The biggest thing is obviously the combat, which is extremely fluid and rewarding. Almost any enemy you kill will drop something that you can use on your runs. Yeah, and the the mod system, I forget what it's how exactly it works because I haven't played it since it originally released. Uh, introducing, you know really strong buffs that you can get that always come with downsides. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. This and game then, really plays with the risk-reward element of roguelikes in a very, very unique way. And I don't think it always lands because I think sometimes the detriment outweighs any positive outcomes. But just willing to take that a step further than a lot of others do is a really bold move. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I... I probably only played 10 hours of this game. I think I beat three bosses in total. Um, I, I mean, I certainly enjoyed it. It's it's not a game I've given enough time to, and I think I definitely need to come back to it soon. <laughs> but it definitely has an impression. I think the story is a little too crazy for my taste, but it's still... It's interesting, for sure. Like, I... It made me want to know more, even if sometimes I was disappointed when I found out more. <laughs> yeah, there's. I never really got far enough into the game to understand what's going on, but basically from the start, uh, there's just like this like astronaut chasing you, pretty much. Um, sort of. I'm, yeah, sort of. I don't like. I said you're stuck in a time loop because it's 2021, and we decided that was the genre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but. Um, every now and then, 
there are sections where you will get a uh, house key to your house, which is randomly just in one of the rooms on this planet. And it'll turn into a first person like horror segment, which is really, it's a really interesting like turn from the rest of the game, which is third person bullet hell. <laughs> My third game of the year pick is Guardians of the Galaxy, which isn't a surprise because I really like sci-fi worlds in video games and I really like Mass Effect. <laughs> this has got a lot of similarities to that. Uh, mostly just like, you know, writing and world building and stuff. But I really like Guardians of the Galaxy. I I was already a fan of the characters themselves from the movies. And I think this just takes everything about that. It makes it ten times better. Because instead of spending an hour and a half with them, you spend uh, 15. <laughs> or however long the game is. Guardians of the Galaxy, I'll give it this. It does not overstay its welcome. No, I think it is... Like, a perfect length. I think this was probably the most pleasantly surprised I was with any game this year. Because I assumed that between how bad the Avengers game was in 2020 and the fact that this game had some just horrible marketing, I I had very low expectations. But the actual final product was, was really, really solid. I think the biggest problem lies in the fact that since you're playing a Star-Lord... You're basically just, when you're not using abilities, you're basically just shooting your guns the whole time, which you'll get like different elements for throughout, but they don't really add that much to the combat, except for the fact some enemies have shields that can only be broken by those, or they might be like weak against those elements, but like, I don't think it's a bad combat system. It just, it gets a little boring after a while, but thankfully the writing is there to not bore you for the entire game because the writing and the characters is so so good well i think that just about does it for all of our game of the year nominees so we're gonna take a quick break then we'll be right back to talk just a little bit about what's to come in 2022 and then more importantly pick our official game of the year for 2021 we'll be right back 2022 is here so let's not just get stuck on the best of 21 let's also talk about what we're really excited for for the year ahead jackson why don't you start us off with a couple of things to no one's surprise i'm here for one thing and one thing only i'm actually here for a lot of things there's a lot of things i'm excited for this year but the first thing that i'm really excited for is obviously destiny 2 witch queen comes out in like a month um that's if if we didn't have a podcast that's probably all i'd be playing for the month after its release <laughs> i'm real excited for it mostly because i've been spending like the past week playing a new character going through all the old dlcs and it's made me very hyped for it yeah yeah jordan and i both recently got back into destiny 2 and i i've been enjoying what i've played so far for sure. Uh, I mean, it, it helps that I haven't played Destiny 2 since launch. So I did get to play the main story that is completely removed from the game at this point. Crucible is significantly worse now than it was at launch. I tried playing Crucible several times since I started playing most recently, and I hate it. I can't stand it. I'm really bad at it, so that's probably part of it. Uh, but it's just, you get killed by all these people, and they're all using the same guns, and it's... You get killed by a guy that's like level 842 with a stupid username like I am the best and like they're using a like a, a weird looking shotgun called like I don't know Neptune's armpit or some stupid thing like that and like you die in a millisecond from a guy 20 yards away with a shotgun and like yeah, Nothing about this is in any way welcoming to new players whatsoever. The good news is Crucible is largely optional. <laughs> Anyways, next up is Forspoken, which is a good old magic game um, coming out, what, like May or something? I don't know. Uh, something <laughs> like that. But there's yes, it's in May. There's lots of magic in this one. I like it, it just looks really fun. The gameplay looks very fluid and like you know magical (laughs) 
I'm excited for that one. I don't really have too much to say about it since we don't know a whole lot about it right now. Every time we've seen more of this game, I've gotten more excited. Yeah, I wasn't excited for it at all when they first started showing it off, but then they showed that trailer where you make like an ice uh, tornado and then it explodes, yeah. and I was all like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, once they showed some more ga- gameplay, I was pretty excited. I think the one. character models are still pretty ugly, but the environments look great, and I think the mixing and matching mag- magic effects could be really, really cool if it's done properly. But yeah, not much to say about that one. One game I am extremely excited for if it does actually get released this year. Breath of the Wild 2. Uh, Breath of the Wild 1 is my favorite game of all time. I never thought there'd be a sequel because that's not really Legend of Zelda style for the most part. Was very excited when I heard it announced. But also, you know, kind of worried because there's never been a true sequel to a Legend of Zelda game. So I don't really know what that has in store. Hey bud, you ever heard of Legend of Zelda 2? Have you ever played Legend of Zelda Link Between Worlds? Well... Hey, have you played Spirit Tracks? <laughs> well, I don't know if Spirit... I don't know if Legend of Zelda 2 or Spirit Tracks are necessarily a reason to not worry about sequels. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is he said there'd never been one. And I'm like, well... I said there's, there's never been, been a true sequel. Majora's Mask. There's been... Well, I mean, there have been sequels, like, story-wise. But this will still be... This game will still be using, like... Probably the same engine, just a little updated. Mostly the same gameplay with some improvements. And Legend of Zelda, I don't think, really ever had that, except maybe Link Between Worlds. Majora's but that Mask. one's also very different. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. A game that Jackson and no one else is excited for. <laughs> yeah. I am very, um, very confident that Breath of the Wild 2 will be incredible. It's just a matter of, are we going to get it this year? Probably not. Are we going to get right. it next year? There's a good chance. Will we get it the year after that? That's kind of what I'm thinking. I, I think it'll be next year. Yeah, if it gets delayed, I don't see it going past next year. Well, it doesn't have a release date yet. Yeah, it's just set for this year. <laughs> and even then, they kind of like backed off on that while they were announcing it. But I don't want to I don't want to keep going on too long, so I'm just going to go through these next two pretty quick. God of War Ragnarok. Still no release date on that, but it'll probably come out this year. Real excited for that. God of War 2018 is another one of my favorite games of all time, so really excited to see a sequel to that. Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, um, extremely excited for that, more than I thought it'd be, because I was just assuming it'd probably just be, you know, more or less of another Lego game with a few different additions, but it seems it's it's very different, and I don't know how to describe it, so just go watch the trailer for it. Yeah, they just released the trailer a few days before we're recording this, and... It looks really good. I'm excited for it. They said there's going to be like 300 characters, which is insane. I'm apparently the guy that talks about, shoot, what's it called? The licensed games. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> April 5th, which I, I was looking at that release date and it's it's 4-5. And personally, I wouldn't have been too upset if they had just pushed it back another month so it could have come out on May the 5th. May the, May, fo- the fly, May the fourth. May the fifth be with you. <laughs> hey, Cinco de Mayo, am I right? <laughs> I love Star Wars. The big, the biggest game that I'm kind of excited for that I'm hoping will come out this year. I think it's Gotham Knights. They showed it off last August. It hasn't actually been that long. It just feels like it's been ages. Uh, and it's just a new Batman game in the style of the Arkham series where you play as not Batman because he's dead. You play as his far more interesting uh, sidekicks. Batgirl, Nightwing, Robin, and Red Hood. It's also it's also a multiplayer focused. Yeah. It has some RPG stuff. like which It's kind of interesting that it's about four characters, but the co-op is going to be limited to two. Interesting. But it looks really cool. I really enjoyed the combat in the Arkham games, and I'm kind of excited to see how they've evolved that and how it's going to work with a multiplayer game. Playing as a playing a whole game as like Red Hood or Nightwing seems kind of neat. It's the closest we've ever gotten to just a game about them. I feel like this game was probably made in response to how many people thought that Arkham Knight would have multiplayer. <laughs> And then and then it came out and it was just like, nah, it's just you can switch characters in battle sometimes. <laughs> Which, it's honestly weird this game is not set in the Arkham universe, considering, like, Batman did. Yeah, 
Arkham, Arkham Knight ends with a huge uh, cliffhanger where Batman might be dead, and this one starts with Batman might be dead, and they're just like, nah, not related. It's also weird because this game is not developed by the same people that made Arkham, but Suicide Squad is. And that is <laughs> yeah, in the Arkham universe. But seems wholly unrelated to Batman. Uh, that is, that's another game that I'm pretty excited for coming out this year. They also showed some gameplay for it much more recently, which I I definitely think Suicide Squad's coming out this year. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure about Gotham Knights. You gotta say its full name. Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. Suicide Squad, or The Emancipation of Harley Quinn. <laughs> I can't wait for, I can't wait for its, uh, its, like, reboot, uh, The Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. This one seems interesting. It, I believe it's built for four-player co-op, or at least I hope so, because it would be weird if there were two games starring four characters, but it's only two-player. Uh, but this one follows the Suicide Squad as Brainiac is basically taken over the world, and more importantly, the Justice League. <laughs> and they need to kill the Justice League, because the Justice League will kill everyone if they don't. And it stars Harley Quinn, Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, and uh, King Shark. I almost called him Killer Shark, but that's a different guy. I was really skeptical about Suicide Squad until I saw some gameplay. And it didn't like totally put my concerns to rest, but it did show me that this was not the game I was envisioning. Like This is a very fast-paced, chaotic shooter. And I think that that's what the Suicide Squad needs to be, even if it's not necessarily the genre that I fit with the most. I'm definitely interested to see where this one goes, for sure. Uh, and my final licensed game that I'm excited for <laughs> is... Hogwarts Legacy. Hogwarts. Oh, is it Legacy? I thought it was Legends. I think it's Legacy. No, it's oh, Legacy. Okay. Fair enough. We don't really know too much about this game. And uh, J.K. Rowling sucks, but, you know, I'm I'm still excited for it. It seems kind of like, from what they've shown so far, just an RPG where you're a student at Hogwarts. And presumably some kind of shenanigans are going to be going on. Because it would be very boring if you just went to school. Do you have any licensed games you want to talk about, Jordan? Not really. First and foremost, I want to I want to you know address the elephant in the room. Um, Elden Ring is almost here. <laughs> I am very 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 excited about this game. Everything I've seen about it looks incredible. Uh, we are not the most from where from software uh, familiar group. The only game, the only game from software is made that I've even finished is Sekiro. But Sekiro is one of my favorite games I've ever played, and from what I've seen of Elden Ring, it certainly seems at least more approachable than, say, Dark Souls. But I think there's still a whole lot to dig into, and I still expect it to be a very difficult experience that I'm really looking forward to learning the ropes of and getting to know the world. I think the shift to a more open narrative and an open world is really, really smart for what From Software does. And I think everything I've seen is pointed to that being the right decision. But I guess we'll see in just like three weeks. So that's really cool. I still haven't played a FromSoft game, really. I, I don't know. I can't. Me either. I keep trying to give Dark Souls a chance, and every time I just kind of bounce off. I don't know what's up with it. From what I've seen of Elden Ring... I think that there's just going to be so many more options about how to handle fights that it's not going to be as gruelingly difficult because like you're going to have really powerful magic and ranged attacks and just a lot of stealth options that you haven't traditionally had in other from software games. So I think I think this one's going to be certainly still difficult but much more approachable than the other from software games. So you think it'll kind of be like what uh, Metal Gear Solid Five did to the Metal Gear formula? I could definitely see that being comparable. <sighs> so the next game I want to talk about is uh, Horizon Forbidden West, which... Sorry, never heard of it. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, I think, is one of the best PlayStation exclusives from the PS4 console generation. And I think it's because it took a premise that was so absurd... And worked so hard to make it plausible. And there is still a huge sense of... like There has to be a lot of suspension of disbelief for Horizon to work at all. But I think it still created this world that's really cool. Characters that are really interesting with a lot of depth to them. I think that 
from what I've seen of Forbidden West, it's expanding on all of the right things of that world and of those characters. The only thing I could really see being an issue with this game is an issue we're seeing with a lot of open world games right now in that they are just overstaying their welcome. Like there's just too much and there's not an interesting enough world in between those collectibles or those random checklist missions to, to keep you interested. Um, I've certainly felt myself getting more tired of those games lately and I'm really, really hoping that just how good the combat and the world of Horizon is is good enough to carry me through you know, some of the exhaustion of just running from point A to point B over a huge map. <laughs> I, I, I have very high hopes though. If nothing else, I'm sure it will be a great story. They, these guys know how yeah. to do that. <laughs> they know how to make a good story and a good combat loop. I think even if the open world uh, has a good bit of the problems that most open world games do now, I still think it'll be a pretty good game. Yeah. So I'll kind of go through these last three that I want to talk about quick because they're certainly not on the caliber that Elden Ring and Forbidden West are. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. It's a spinoff of... Borderlands 3, which is a game that was good, but I didn't love. But Borderland, new Borderlands content's always great in my book, even if it doesn't have the staying power that Borderlands 2 does. But from what I've seen of this game, I think it could fix some of the issues I have with Borderlands 3, which is very, very cool. And I think the change of style is really fitting. I think Borderlands 3 was getting a little too serious and taking it into a very like weird and over-the-top world that doesn't really have the stakes or the lore to worry about is a good choice. Um, it also has like segmented levels, which seems like a better option than one giant shared open world. And there is a new, new emphasis on swords and sorcery that I think could really sh- shake things up in a cool way. I just hope that it's balanced properly, but you know, Borderlands is uh, nothing if not unbalanced. <laughs> so we'll see. Next up is the new Kirby, which I think is a game that a lot of people are excited about, but no one really knows how to talk about because either you like Kirby or you don't, and there's just not a whole lot else to it. Um, I love Kirby. He's my, uh, well, I guess he, I don't know if that's the right word. We can go with they. That's, I think Kirby's pretty ambiguous. Yeah. Uh, they pink blob with red shoe. Yeah. Uh, I really love all of the old classic Kirby's, um, but they've all been, you know, 2D side scrollers. So I'm really interested to see how transitions into a 3D world, which could be very, very cool. I remember playing the Game Boy games so much. Yeah. Especially so much. Magic Mirror. Yes. We played a ton of that game. And I think it's I think it's because <laughs> Kirby is something special. The games are incredibly easy. There's no doubt about that. Like there is very little challenge to a Kirby game. But there's also something so just like, I don't know, magical about it. Like you can suck up any enemy and gain their powers and then use them to just like steamroll entire, you know, swarms of enemies. And it's just really cool. Like Kirby as a game is, it's it's something unique in general. It was never meant to be this really grueling experience. It was meant to be just get out there play as this character, use cool powers, explore the cool world. Like, that's it. And that's enough. And, you know, some of the more recent gameplay we've seen from it is really promising. The fact that it's going to be entirely co-op, I think, is a really, really smart move. And uh, I don't know. I just look forward to playing this one both as a single-player experience because I love Kirby, but I also really look forward to playing it with our five-year-old brother because it just seems right (laughs) up his alley. So, like... Wow, he's going to love being Bandana D. I would let him be Kirby. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. So last game I want to talk about um, is one that's right around the corner. It's actually launching in five days as we're recording this, uh, which is Pokemon Legends Arceus. And this game looks pretty bad. Uh, visually not pleasant. However, I think it visually looks worse than Sword and Shield somehow. Yeah. And I figured after yeah. like the blowback that Sword and Shield got that they would focus more on that, but nah. I think switching to like the cell shaded thing was a cool move, but it's just so poorly executed. Like there are some stills of the game that look great, but 
all the motion is just bad and the environments seem really bland, but I'm still really intrigued by a lot of the mechanical decisions they're making with this game. I think they're taking a lot of lessons from Monster Hunter, which is very interesting. And I think that the gameplay loop could actually be really cool with this idea that all the Pokemon are just out there roaming around the world with you and, you know, you can just throw a Pokeball and totally skip the battle. Or you can, you know, like, you don't just initiate a battle by going up close to them and cutting to a new screen. You just, like, select the Pokemon you want to use from your party and throw out the Pokeball and the battle begins just where you are. Like, things like that seem really, really cool. And the different styles for attacks seems interesting. Yeah, they're adding a really cool layer to combat now where you can choose like you have two you have two stances. Um, you know, you have like your neutral stance, which is how the game always works, where it's like you attack, they attack, you know, so on and so forth. But you can also like switch up your stance to like a speed form where you can attack more frequently, but it does less damage. Or a strength form where you're stronger but you can't attack as often. And like Stuff like that seems really cool, and the fact that the Pokemon in the in the wild actually like can just up and attack your trainer seems really cool. But the problem I have with with Pokemon Company and specifically Game Freak as a developer is there's always just this underlying risk that this game is just going to be lazily made. Like there's just not going to be enough, and I guess we'll see. But either way, it's. I wouldn't say it's... They're so afraid of innovation. Right. Is part of it. And yeah. this game seems like it's going to be very big and innovative. Innovative? <laughs> yeah. Words. Like, it seems like it's going to bring a whole bunch of new stuff to the series. But, first off, we don't actually really know what all it's going to bring. It could be very little. And then, for all we know, the next game's going to come out and it's going to be like, uh, we decided to keep zero things from that game. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you never know what you're going to get with the Pokemon Company. Or, I guess I just, you did for a very long time, is another problem. And I also, it just kind of sucks that their games used to be, like, beautiful because of their art style. And ever since they made the Switch to 3D, the games are just ugly. Yeah. Like I didn't love Gen 5 from a gameplay standpoint, but I think it's probably the best looking, maybe, that a 2D game has ever been. Like, the Pokemon look great. The fact that the pixel art, you know, they were now moving, but we're still in that pixel art was very, very cool. And the environments all looked great. And since they went to 3D, it just, it feels like they're two generations behind. So I like the, I think most of the Pokemon, there are some that didn't make the transition. I think most of them made the transition to 3D pretty well. It's just like, they don't want to put any effort into environmental design. Yeah. But we'll see how this one goes. I This is the game that I think is sort of... It's really on a razor's edge. It could be great and have a really cool flow and a hook to it, or it could be just unplayable. When I say this is a game I'm excited about for 2022, I'm not really saying because I think I'm going to have fun with it as much as I just I want to know so bad what it is. And I, I just don't know yet. So we will see. I mean, it is it is the first game we are going to be officially reviewing of 2022. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We'll be streaming it next week as well. So keep an eye on social media for links to that. <sighs> well, we've gone on for quite a while about 2022. So let's circle on back. Let me give you a recap of the quote-unquote nominees for the 2021 Game of the Year. We have Death's Door... Returnal, Guardians of the Galaxy, It Takes Two, Hitman 3, Psychonauts 2, Forgotten City, Forza Horizon 5, Metroid Dread, and Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Something fun and sort of intentionally sabotaging that I think we could do to kick off this conversation is what if we each veto one on this list? Like we each kick off one right. that we know... We don't that we know should not be the game of the year. Okay. Okay. I'm into that. Now that I say that, I don't know what I'm thinking, but like I don't I don't know which one. But can we just? I feel like we should just go ahead and take Hitman Three off this list. Okay, that's your veto. No, no, I, I don't think that should be anyone's veto. I think we should just also just get rid of it. Uh, you haven't played it. You're just trying to say that. You played it's still like a really good game. I think it definitely deserves to be on the list. Okay, fine. Put it back. Okay. Do you do you each have a suggestion for your veto? I, I kind of want to see what they are before I go with mine. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, Jax, you can go first. I, hmm. See, I mean, I feel like now I have to go with Hitman 3. <laughs> what a move. Um, <laughs> he vetoed I, a game he hasn't even played. Yeah, I... Like an absolute Chad. Yeah, I'm going to just look at the games here that I have played, so I'm not going to consider Forgotten City or Hitman 3 as ones to take off. Okay. So I think I'm going to have to take off Rift Apart. Ooh, okay. It's a big one to start off. I really like Rift Apart, but I just like the other games more. (laughs) Okay, okay. Which is saying something, because I, like, like, personally, I do not like Metroid Dread that much. But I think it's a better game. Uh, I'm going to veto Guardians. I see how this is. Because if I could play any of these games on this list again, that would be the one I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that. It doesn't really have replayability, but... See, now now I'm really conflicted because that was sort of the one I was I was leaning towards. I think I'm going to have to go with forgotten city because even though i think it had really really smart writing i think the actual gameplay was pretty abysmal like significantly worse than anything else on this list which again wasn't what it was going for but like it just it was really lacking the video game side of it it was basically a visual novel which is not something i normally like but i did enjoy the game a lot Well, I think Disco Elysium kind of nails that kind of idea a lot better as a point-and-click adventure game. And I think that I played... I mean, I played Disco Elysium and Forgotten City both for the first time this year. And I think that that's... You know, even though neither one was, like, my favorite game I've ever played, I still felt like Disco Elysium pretty much did it all better. Okay, so that leaves us with Death's Door, Returnal, it Takes Two, Hitman 3, Psychonauts 2, Forza Horizon 5, and Metroid Dread. So... Now, I personally have played all of these games except for Returnal. And you guys have both played all of these games except Hitman 3, right? Yeah. Right. How about this? Let's go ahead and take both Returnal and Hitman 3 out of the conversation. Because all right. even though I think these are both very good games in their own right... I don't think it's necessarily fair for us to try and make a unanimous decision if there are games that we haven't all three played. <laughs> yeah, yeah and sense. I can definitely argue against... I, I have arguments against Hitman 3, at the very least, Right. Uh, in that I don't think Hitman 3 adds enough to the Hitman formula to mm. really make it a game of the year. And I think a big argument against Returnal we haven't even really considered is that... Most people are beating Returnal in like 20 hours. And none of us have even felt so compelled by the game to stick it out for 20 hours. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like it's a little too niche. It's also like this the game feels like it's custom made for me. It's like a roguelike bullet hell in like in that style and that aesthetic direction and not even I was like that into it. <laughs> So now's where things get really difficult because we are left with Death's Door, It Takes Two, Psychonauts 2, Forza Horizon 5, and Metroid Dread. And I do just want to start off by saying I would be happy walking away with any one of these games as like our official game of the year. They're all incredible games. I think it does go to show, though, what I was saying about how many sequels there were this year in that three of the games on this list are sequels. Yeah. <laughs> sequels to very long-running franchises, specifically. Well, in Psychonauts and Metroid's case, sequels to franchises that haven't had a new entry in... A very long time. A long time. Well, Metroid Fusion and Psychonauts both came out around the same time, didn't they? Yeah. I think Psychonauts was 2005, Metroid Fusion was 2003? That sounds right, yeah. Definitely a lot of nostalgia there for both of us. Okay, I'm going to make this conversation a little bit easier. So, Forza Horizon 5 is my personal pick for the best game of 2021. Because it's a game that I had the most fun with and that I'll, I'll be going back to for a very long time. I recognize that Jackson didn't have especially strong feelings about this one. 
And Jason, like, well, I know you enjoyed it and we'll play more of it. You didn't like, you weren't compelled to sink, you know, 50 hours into this game in the first month it was out like I was. So I am comfortable taking Forza Horizon 5 out of the equation just because I know it's not reflective of all three of us and it's not nearly as inventive as the other four games on this list. Like Forza Horizon 5 is more of Forza Horizon. It is not necessarily its own thing. And I think the other games on this list have a lot more of their own unique DNA. Yeah, I I do feel like there's really not too much delineation uh, from Forza Horizon 4 to 5. Yeah. Other than They're dropping, very similar. It dropped the season yeah. system, which I think was smart, because that was the weakest point of 4. It was fine yeah. in, like, spring and summer, but, like, fall and winter, I feel like being permanently stuck, or not permanently, but being stuck in that season for a week without your control really hurt the game. But then 5 fixed that, and I think just has the standard improvements that each game has year after year. But other than that, there's no real... Nothing about Forza Horizon 5 was so head and shoulders above the rest of the series. Whereas I feel like Metroid Dread is. And Psychonauts 2 is just so different from its predecessor that I think both of those belong... You know, should be in this conversation more so than Forza. Yeah, and another big thing with racing games is a lot of the big changes between the different entries are under the hood. Yeah. They're not things yeah. you're going to realize as a casual player, and they're definitely not things that are going to change the overall experience. Right. They're not making or breaking right. the game. Oof. <laughs> this is it's definitely a tough decision. Yeah. I yeah. I really really enjoyed all four of the games we have left. Here's what I'm leaning towards specifically. I think I think we need to drop Metroid Dread and Death Store. And my reasoning is of those games, at least one of us wasn't that into it. Like I know Jackson had some aversions to Metroid Dread and Jason like while well, you've enjoyed what you've played of Death Store, you've played very little. And the fact that, you know, you didn't pick it right back up, you know, the day after the stream or whatever shows that even if you liked it, you didn't like it so much that you felt compelled to play it more immediately. Whereas I think with both It Takes Two and Psychonauts 2, those were both games that I think all three of us were pretty, pretty happy with from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely agree with that. Okay. So let's make the official final decision for our the, the TBM game of the year 2021 is It Takes Two and Psychonauts 2. I love the number two. Yeah. Two is... Big fan. I do like how It Takes Two is not a sequel, though. Yeah. Uh, it's the sequel to It yeah. Takes. <laughs> Duh. The hit single-player platform game. Yeah. Okay. How about this? Just gut check, count down from three, all three of us say which of these two games we think is is the winner of the two. All right. It's not going to sync up at all because we have different <laughs> levels of audio delay. You can okay. you can fix that when you edit it. Forza yeah. Horizon 5. Yeah. Okay. okay. Destiny 2. Okay. So I'm going to count down from three and then all three of us say which one we're thinking. So, three, two, one. Psychonauts, Psychonauts two. two. <laughs> okay. Wait, what did did he say? Psychonauts as well. We all said it. Yeah, all okay. three of all us right. said Psychonauts. So, I think. Let that me means... explain my reasoning for Psychonauts yeah. two over It Takes Two. Psychonauts two and It Takes Two are both at their core puzzle platformers. My big gripe with It Takes Two is the writing. And I think that Psychonauts 2 manages to stick the landing with its writing all the way through the game. I don't feel like there are really any particularly weakly written parts of Psychonauts 2. I like the new characters that they brought in, you know, specifically the old, uh, the original Psychonauts and Raz's family. 
like I said, the interns, I really liked them. I wish that they had gotten a little bit more attention. But It Takes Two, it feels good. I, I think It Takes Two feels really good as a platformer, and it does all these unique things with different genres and different gameplay styles. I feel like Psychonauts 2 does that as well to a lesser degree. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It, it really feels like Psychonauts 2 and It Takes Two have a lot of similarities between them. But Psychonauts 2 just kind of narrowly, just kind of, it's it's like that photo finish uh, at the uh, during Cars where Lightning McQueen sticks his tongue out. <laughs> That's Psychonauts. Yeah. Psychonauts, it's it's got a mental mental fist right in front of it, punching through the finish line <laughs> that it takes two just doesn't have. Yeah, and the way I see it, they they share a lot of the same strengths. But Psychonauts 2 doesn't necessarily have the weaknesses that It Takes Two has. Where It Takes Two, I think, is more inventive with its gameplay. It's still only marginally better than Psychonauts 2 in that regard. But it's significantly worse in terms of the writing and narrative. And and it also does have those flaws where, like I mentioned, one player will get... A better one player will have a better experience in a lot of the areas Absolutely. than it takes two. Absolutely. Psychonauts two, I don't really feel like had any particularly weak levels. It didn't have as many truly memorable levels as Psychonauts one did, but it's still like the baseline for Psychonauts two is really good. There's not a whole lot of deviation from the game just being really good. <laughs> Jackson, what do you think? Psychonauts two, I. I'm going to be honest, picking game of the year this year was very hard because there was a lot of game. All, all like the big games this year were very different. Like usually a lot of the big games are very similar, but they were all very different this year. And I think Psychonauts 2 is just really one of the ones that really stuck out the most to me. Like I don't think it really did anything like super special or new or groundbreaking, but I don't know. It just really like, it just really stuck with me. I really enjoyed playing it. I honestly will probably play it again soon. It's like it's just it's just a really good game. I think it nailed really answering a lot of the questions that were left over from Psychonauts One as well. You know, stuff like what's up with Raz's aversion to water? How is he related to the Psychonauts? Why does his family hate psychics so much? Where, like, you get small answers to a lot of those questions in the first game, but the second game does really well at picking them up and being like, there's a whole story here. And it's all connected. It's not... (laughs) That's what I think is really smart about it. It's that not only does this game answer those questions, it's a whole game about answering those questions, and you don't even know it at first. Yeah. Yeah. Everything about the narrative serves to explain and expand upon Raz and his backstory even when it's talking about characters that you don't realize have any relation to him I just I just think across the board everything about it is very very smart it's very good gameplay everything's very quick I just I I can see myself replaying this game with the first one like every couple of years for a very long time. And I really hope that it's not another 15 years or whatever before we get a sequel. Because <laughs> I still think there's a lot of very cool things left out there to do with the Psychonauts. And I think that 2, while it didn't always capitalize on it, laid the groundwork for some much bigger and more ambitious ways that the mental world can tie to the physical world. Also, I got a lot of respect for Tim Schafer. Psychonauts 2 is the official Totally Biased Media 2021 Game of the Year. But I think that just about does it for our first 2022 episode of Totally Biased Media. Well, as our first Game of the Year episode. Ever. Not yeah. just for 2022. Maybe the second one will actually be good. Who Maybe. knows? <laughs> You'll just have to keep listening for another year, I guess. Yep. Please. That's the reason you stick Please around. Please listen. <laughs> so, if you would like to hear more, or see more, or read more, or whatever, you can find us on Twitter 
at TBMCast. On Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. You can find our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia, where we stream every other week on Saturdays. And you can send us an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. If you have suggestions for the show, if you have your own reviews you want to share with us, we will work them into whatever we're doing. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to have you know anything we can to make the show better. We sincerely appreciate. So, for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. You just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>